welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a lawyer and author who narrated her own book earlier this year. Now, I've spoken with a couple of authors who have narrated their own books here in the Speakeasy, but this one's a bit different because the subject of the book is audiobooks. In addition to writing and narrating a book about audiobook production, my guest tonight has produced and directed hundreds of audiobooks and is on the board of the Audio Publishers Association, the APA. Jessica Kay, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. It's my pleasure, Rich. I'm so glad you could be here. I know that we've had a, a few scheduling problems and, uh, and some other technical difficulties, but I'm, I'm glad you could be here and, uh, and talk to me in the Speakeasy. I, I can't even remember how it is that I found your book, but I was on Amazon and somehow I ran across a book about audio production. And I thought, wow, I've, I've got to check this out. And uh, then I found out that you were on the board at the APA, and I thought, wow, not only do I want to check this book out, but this might be somebody I want, might want to talk to in the uh, audiobook speakeasy. So I'm so glad you could make it in. <laughs> Thanks. It's really good to be here. All right. This being a speakeasy, uh, what are you drinking tonight, Jessica? So tonight I am drinking a glass of red wine, and I also have a glass of water. Um, I'm not big on hard alcohol. I just don't care for it very much. Once in a blue moon. And so that's what was handy. Well, all... oh, I do also like sherry, though. I will say that. You know, I have on my uh, on my total wine list, I need to get some uh, Pedro Jimenez sherry. I keep hearing good things about it. I haven't had any yet, but I keep hearing good things. So I'm going to pick some up. All right. Let me know what you think, because I don't want to pretend that I'm knowledgeable about sherry. I have not. <laughs> I just like to drink it. <laughs> All right. But I, I will definitely let you know. Um, I am. Uh, and, and what kind of uh, wine are you having tonight? This is a red blend. Um, it's an inexpensive bottle that we got from Trader Joe's. It's called Coco Bon. And um, we just tried it one night and we liked it tremendously because it's a very deep wine, deep not only in flavor, but also I can't see through it. And I really like a red wine that I can't see through. And it's the same <laughs> way I like my coffee, by the way. I do not want to be able to see through my coffee. If I can see through it, it's the wrong cup for me. I love it. You don't want to see through your red wine. Now, um, I am a fan of red wine. And the the wine that I like the most is a, a, a nice, deep Cabernet. Every once in a while, though, I do like a glass of red wine that I can see through. If it's a kind of a warmish, but not too warm summer afternoon and I'm just not in the mood for a glass of white wine, I will uh, go for a nice light Pinot Noir. That sounds delicious. But uh, but usually, yeah, I, I like the darker ones. Red wine, I can't see through. I'll definitely remember that one. <laughs> I am uh, I'm joining you tonight in a in a cocktail, not a glass of wine, uh, which I have had, I believe, in the speakeasy here, but not very often. Uh, tonight, <laughs> I'm I'm having a classic. I'm having a Gibson, uh, basically just a martini with cocktail onions instead of olives. I don't have them too often, but uh, but I do like a change every once in a while, and I was in the mood for something a little bit uh, sharper than than a cocktail olive, which is one of my favorite things in the world, but uh, needed something with a little more bite to it, so tonight I'm having a Gibson made with Blue Coat Gin, a nice uh, craft American gin. 
That sounds yummy. All right. Well, thank you for coming into the speakeasy tonight, Jessica. Cheers. Cheers. So, uh, Jessica, you are, I believe, on the West Coast. Uh, is that where you're from originally? I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, um, far away. And I, Yes, far away. It was a wonderful place to grow up. And then as I became a teenager, it became a wonderful place to leave. But then when <laughs> I became a mom, I have to say that I thought it would be a wonderful place to be again. But I, we ended up not making the move there. But I do think it's a wonderful town. It's a town called Greenwich, and it's in Fairfield County, the very southern tip of Connecticut. And um, it was kind of an idyllic place to grow up, you know, like riding your bike all afternoon and playing with your friends and mm-hmm. schools were good. And um, we had the four seasons, which honestly, um, I don't miss winter. I hated winter <laughs> when I was a kid. So um, I'll see you again in the spring, Greenwich. I, I totally understand. One of the reasons we moved to Tucson. Um, I, I can also say that I think that for most people, even if you're in a place that's a great place to grow up in, that probably almost guarantees that it's also a great place to leave at some point. <laughs> not, not always, but, but I totally understand that. <laughs> so, and then I went elsewhere to another great place to leave So and and, before and, I ended up here. And where was, was that? I went to college in Washington, D.C., which is an amazing city, and I love being a tourist there, but it just wasn't the right city for me to mm-hmm. live in. I've only been to D.C. a couple of times, and um, I'd, I'd like to go back and to spend a little more time, you know, soaking in a little bit of the, the history of the, you know, the government of this country that I live in, but uh, mm-hmm. just haven't gotten back there. There have been so many other places that I'd, I'd rather see, and I don't really travel that much to begin with. So of all the, you know, 4,000 places I'd like to go, it's uh, not high enough on the list to, to warrant a trip yet. Well, if you ever get a chance, I, I, I do think it's it's a remarkable place. No doubt, yeah. So uh, where'd you go to school? I went to American University. And what did you do there? I was a double major in literature and psychology, nice. and I probably spent a lot of time talking about how cold it was <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> it might be on the Mason-Dixon line, but it, or just below it, but it's, it, it gets very cold in the winter. And very humid other times of year. Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> yes. How did you know that? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got friends back in that area, and uh, humidity is... Uh, you know, when my wife and I were looking for some place to move, we wanted hotter than the Bay Area, which a lot of people said we were crazy, but wanted hotter than the Bay Area, but was not willing to consider any place humid. Um, my mother-in-law yeah. lives on the Gulf Coast, and uh, oh. we were out there in June one year, and I thought, yeah, no, nope, not for me. No, nope, not going to happen. Yeah, when you can cut it with a knife, that's a little bit too thick. Yeah. <laughs> and a when little you, bit. When you can cut through the bugs with a knife, that's a problem, too. <laughs> that's true, so, too. <laughs> so, uh, so then after that, I understand that you went to law school. I did go to law school, and that's what brought me out to Los Angeles, and I fell in love with the city, and I've been here ever since. Cool. And uh, what kind of law did you end up going into? Um, so at first, I was in a general civil practice, which basically means you do a little of this and a little of that. And that is actually the kind of practice that I had wanted to be in, but it ended up uh, being too litigation heavy, which at that time I was in my early twenties. I was a very young attorney. I got admitted at age 22 and it, it was just too stressful for me. I didn't like people being angry all the time. And essentially if you're in litigation, people are angry all the time. So, so you got uh, out of law school at 22. I did. Yeah. Wow. That is pretty young. Yeah. 
Yes, I, I I was always in a hurry, and I honestly can't tell you why at this point in retrospect, but I was always on to the next thing. Whatever that is just ahead, that's where I think I ought to be, yeah. or that's what I thought, where I thought I ought to be, and it was kind of like um, greyhounds chasing the rabbit around the track. <laughs> I think that, that's probably what I was. And why did, <laughs> why did you decide to get into law? <laughs> so my father was a lawyer who loved what he did, just loved it, and it was a very, I think, a very much more civil uh, practice back then, much more gentlemanly, for lack of a better <laughs> word, to come to mind. And he wanted all his kids to go to law school. He always told us, kids, you can be anything you want to be, as long as you're a lawyer. <laughs> but Daddy, I want to be a writer. Well, a lawyer can write, but a writer can't practice law. So um, he really pounded <laughs> it into us. And um, I graduated from college a year early. And unexpectedly, I don't think I realized I had the credits, and it sort of sneaked up on me. And I walked in. I had to walk in to take the LSATs. It was too late to advance register for them, and oh. it was also too late to apply to most of the law schools in the country. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to have the choice between going to law school in New York and going to law school in Los Angeles, and I chose L.A. for a change of pace. I'd never been to California. I'd never been to the West. I'd never been to the Midwest, even. Um, and I told my dad I'd go for a year while I figured out what I really wanted to do, and I ended <laughs> up really enjoying law school. I know that sounds unthinkable to most people, including most people who went to law school, but I, I really loved it. No, not at all. I, I think that's great. I, I considered law at some point as well. I had graduated several years before and uh, moved to the Bay Area. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'll take the LSAT. So I took it, got a decent score, not great, but decent, uh, good enough to apply to a, a few places. Uh, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten into Bolt or Hastings or any of the big ones on uh, in the Bay Area. But um, but I figured, yeah, I, I could maybe do this. And then I thought long and hard about it after taking the test, a little bit late. But uh, I decided, you know, I actually don't think it's for me. And <laughs> and I, I second-guessed that a few times and almost applied. And, and then I, th I, I thought, no, I think I'm just not going to do it right now. And uh, I don't know, six months, a year, two years later, I thought about it. I thought, you know, I think that was the right choice. Um, doesn't always work out that way, but I think that for me, uh, for me, it worked out. But for you, it worked out to go into law, and you ended up liking it at least as much, if not more, than you thought you would. It's very funny because, in a way, we did the reverse of each other, and we still both ended up in the same industry. <laughs> that is pretty Here funny. We are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, um, so you did um, sort of general law, and then what happened after that? Mm -hmm. Then I got asked to become house counsel to a small entertainment company, and I thought, you know what, I really wanted to get out of the practice I was in. I was so unhappy um, that sounded like fun. Yeah, sure, I'll go be the vice president of business affairs for an entertainment company. That sounds grand, and it was also a very stressful place to be. <laughs> it was a small business with um, the person who owned it. It was a husband and wife who owned it, and the man who essentially ran it day to day. Um, was brilliant and I really liked him and I also was treated extremely badly by him and I let that go on for about three years and, the, and and by the way everybody there was treated extremely badly by him there was just no you could never do enough there are some bosses like this right so you have 90 100 things on your to-do list and you do 99 and the boss comes in and asks you why you didn't do all the 100 mm. things <laughs> and after three years of that I was pretty worn down so I left and that's when I started the Publishing Mills, uh, which was an audiobook company that was open from about 1990 to 
very early 2002. We did 200. We produced 200 audiobooks. We won a Grammy Award. We got a second Grammy nomination. We won an Audi Award. And it was very rewarding in every way except financially. <laughs> and, Art- artistic ventures had, can be like that sometimes. Yeah. And I loved books and I had always wanted to be in the record business. And so it is actually the one thing that um, astounds me to this day is how I was able to end up in a business that marries those two things, the record business and books. That's great. Um, I, I've talked to a piece few, of uncanny luck. Yeah. I've talked to a few people who um, have ended up kind of marrying things that, that they've done in the past and were, you know, it, it was a, a happy, eh, I'm not sure that coincidence is the right word, but a happy state of affairs to say, well, mm-hmm. I had this experience, never thought about that as a foundation for audiobooks. And I had this experience, never thought of that as a foundation for audiobooks. And now I'm doing audiobooks and it's, I've got mm-hmm. the perfect background for it. So, um, so that's very cool when that can happen. So, uh, yeah. mom and pop thing, it, it sounds like your boss there was kind of like, a you know, the kid who, who brings home a test with a 98% score and the parent says, where's the other 2%? Yes, um, it was very much like that. I mean, I learned a lot. Bad. I'll give them that. But yeah, um, being stressed, I mean, I had just left a practice that stressed me out and I didn't expect this to, to be more of same, but it was. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of us um, have been in many stressful job situations and, um, sure, yeah. you know, life is short in the big picture. And, and the way that I try to look at that and occasionally I'm successful is everything that I've gone through before has led to where I am now. And I think that I'm in a fairly, fairly good place now. And so those experiences, even though they were difficult at the time, have helped me get to this space. Now, like I said, I'm not always successful at, uh, at thinking of it that way. Um, but, uh, but I like to think that the bad experiences that I've had in the past have in the end, um, come to a good end. I agree with you. We're on the yellow brick road. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, we've got the tree throwing the apples at us and then we get the apples. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Got to remember that one. Um, all right. So, uh, publishing mills. So that was an audiobook production company. Didn't work out so well financially, but you learned a lot about, um, the industry at the time, which I assume was a bit different than it is now. Very different than it is now. I mean, some of the things are the same. You license rights and you go into a studio with a narrator or if you are the narrator, you go in. And um, But the uh, sales venues have changed tremendously. The ease, the barriers to entry are incredibly low now. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not low before because of the economics of it, because to be an audiobook publisher back then primarily meant, um, well, in the very early days, it was cassettes. And then later it segued to CDs. And by the time I left the company, it was CDs and downloads, but CDs were still predominant. And so that meant you had to have capital. You had to have cash to sink into manufacturing. And um, that included not just the CDs, but the the packaging. You needed to license cover art. You needed to, well, you needed to produce the, you know, it was much more expensive than even to rent a studio. Uh, now people have home studios and that's a sunk cost. And once you've earned it back, you know, it's much less expensive than it was back in the day. There was the warehousing, there was the shipping. It, now um, it's much more um, uh, economically feasible to be an audiobook publisher because so many of the sales are via download. So you're not producing hard copy. You're not sinking money into packaging. You're not, you still need artwork because you need that JPEG. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you're not getting returns for the most part. There are returns of digital sales, but they're nominal, especially compared to to CDs and cassettes back in the day. And you know, publishers that still print books can can attest to that. Sure. Um, yeah. And I know that there are some publishers who still do a small amount of physical media. But uh, I have to guess that at this point, it's a very small, maybe tiny percentage of, of the total production. Um, I, I believe that the one place that I, that I hear about this is um, a tech podcast that I listen to. A lot of truckers who have a lot of tech because they're always on the road and they need something that's going to work wherever they are. I think that they're, uh, that's one market that they still uh, market the physical media to because they have CD players in their, in their trucks um, for places that don't have good cell coverage or um, that they don't want to have to download you know, a bazillion things mm-hmm. all at once. But I know yes. that it's a, it's a very small part of the market at this point. And truck, I have to say the truck driving industry has, has long been a staple of the customer base of audiobooks because of exactly what you say. You know, they're on the road for long stretches. We used to get letters or phone calls from truck drivers saying, you know, I really uh, appreciate audiobooks because I know when I put one in, it's going to be X number of minutes long and that's going to get me from, you know, <laughs> wherever I start to. I know how right. far I'll be on the road when it ends. And right. um, yeah, they're terrific terrific audience for audiobooks. Yeah. Well, so that was through the early 2000s. And then what happened? <laughs> so, okay. So then with two children that I did want to have go to college and didn't want them to be saddled with debt, you know, my parents paid for my schooling and I wanted to be able to do the same for my children. So, um, I was not making money at that point. In fact, um, you know, after nine 11, it was really a tough time in business in general because, everything came to a standstill. People were in shock and um, businesses, everybody um, was was preoccupied with, with what had happened. Um, and at that point, I started thinking that maybe it was time to, to find something else to do. And so by early 2002, I had left my uh, publishing company and I'd gone into the practice of law with Kevin Mills, my law partner, and Paul Rubin, a very well-known and respected uh, audiobook producer and director. Sure, yeah, he's been, been here. my. Fr- yeah, oh, good. Yeah. Uh, he had said, you know, you should be doing freelance. It's I've, he'd been telling me that for a long time, actually, even while I still had my company, and um, I was sort of forced into thinking about that because, I, as I say, I had these two kids, and not only did I want them to go to college, but I also wanted them in the in the day to day to have a roof over their head and food on their stomachs. Mm-hmm. So I took him up on that, and um, and I'd already been doing that in my own company and it's a skill set that you know is developable and I had it and um and I've been doing it ever since and I love it and I love being able to do the multiple things that I do the law practice the production and directing and and the distribution the digital distribution yeah I was going to say it sounds like you're doing a lot of things these days so not only are writing. you are you practicing <laughs> law and you are a uh, freelance uh, audiobook producer, director, um, and and the distribution, and you're also on the board of the APA. Oh yes, right. There's that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, how did that come about? Um, when I had my company, uh, I had served on the board for a number of years, and I'd been a board member, and I'd been an officer. I served as a treasurer at one point, and I think I was a VP for a year, and then I served as president for a term, and then I took about 15 years away from APA because. You know, I was developing my law practice and I was doing the, as, as we've just discussed, the freelance 
producing and directing, and um, I was more focused on those businesses and raising my kids than on being involved in the day-to-day. I was more involved in the day-to-day of my own businesses than the overall day-to-day of raising the profile of the industry itself. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and then after about 15 years or so, I started thinking about all the changes that had been wrought in audio publishing since I first entered it, and I thought, you know, I really should take my head out of the sand and become more involved again. And that's when I decided that it would be useful to me and hopefully to the industry if I ran for the board again. And so I've been doing that for, I'm sorry to say, I don't remember what year that was, so maybe four or five years now. Well, that's quite a while. So clearly it's something that is working for you, spending whatever amount of time that you're spending on that amid all the other things that you're doing. Um, <laughs> what, what do you focus on there? Um, so the, the board's um, overall mission is to increase the profile of audiobooks, which is a very broad term, by the way, audiobooks, because it encompasses, uh, most of your listeners probably know it's not just book-based, but it's, you know, original programming and uh, most spoken word, maybe with the exception of rap music, fits into the category of audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a name that was, the name of the category was discussed by the APA back in the day about, you know, like, what is the proper name for this category of of publishing and recording, and that's what they came up with. Um, and it's stuck, as you know. So uh, what we do now is continue that, continue to broaden awareness of audiobooks. Uh, the industry has grown and grown and grown. The listening uh, population has grown and grown, but there's still more to be accomplished. And so uh, the audio awards are are part of that, bringing attention to the best of um you know, of, of our medium and, uh, getting publicity for that. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a publicity committee and they work on various and sundry things. Um, you know, they, they're a very intelligent, very savvy, smart group of people on that committee. They're not just board members. It's also people who, who do uh, promotion and publicity at different publishing houses and they bring their savvy to, coming up with ways that we can promote um, audiobooks to the general public, sometimes to specific publics, you know, like when you have um, maybe um, some representation at a YA festival, a young adult book festival, Mm -hmm. and sometimes to broader things like um, the Library Association, ALA. Um, But even more so than there's, you know, like radio campaigns and um, print campaigns and all kinds of things that they think of that are, you know, outside of my area. So it's great that different people find their different um, areas of expertise and use it to help promote this genre that we all love and are part of. That's cool. And so you've been doing that for quite a few years now again. Um, so clearly it's something that you enjoy doing and it seems to be going well. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I think the the APA has grown a lot as well. So um, it's a testament to the growth of the industry that so many people are paying attention and um, and finding ways that they can both benefit from APA and that they can um, help to benefit the genre, the medium. It has certainly seemed like it's grown just in the few years that I've been a member. I think I joined in uh, probably 2017, uh, 2016 or 2017, and it certainly seems like it's grown since just the last couple of years. Yeah, the the industry too, um, and the penetration into the consumer um, usage. Because in each of the past 
And I believe now we're at the past seven years, there's been double digit growth, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And may it continue. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All of us who are in the industry anyway. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so you've been doing all these different things that are sort of related, but all these different things. When did you decide, I'm going to write a book about this? <laughs> I actually decided it a pretty long time ago. I think it's always, it's been in the back of my head. I don't even know for very, for accuracy, I can't tell you exactly when, but I do know that about, I think it was 2015, maybe it was 2014. Um, I took a month and I spent a month in Paris. Um, I knew that June had been a a fallow month for me for the past couple of years. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go do what people do. I'm going to go live somewhere else for a month and I'm going to write my book. That's and awesome. I started. Yeah, it was great because we had friends who kind of said, Oh, can, can we go too? And so it was really a lovely month. And, um, before I digress into, or actually before I stay on point to what I did during that month, I have to say that it was kind of like being a kid again in that. I don't know about for you, but for me, it's like months as a grown-up, go so fast oh, yeah. that I can hardly believe we're already in mid-November because November just started. So I don't understand <laughs> how that happened. Um, but this was a month that went slowly the way it did when we were kids. Oh, that's like great. Every day was enjoyable. And I thought the month would fly by, and I was so grateful that it didn't, that we were able to really fully steep ourselves in a in a month to just be faux Parisian and and enjoy ourselves and, and, and write. So, um, so the, the good news is I did start writing my book, but the bad news is then I, I also edit, I sometimes edit books, not edit audiobooks, uh, but edit books. Um, and somebody hired me to edit a book for them while I was away. So I put my book away and I worked on theirs. Uh. Um, and then this book came back to life just last year when for a client, I was speaking to F&W Media, which is um, their, their um, imprint, Writer's Digest Books, is who published my book. And um, I asked them if they were still acquiring titles, and they said yes. And so I pitched them a book by a different client. And they said, yeah, I don't think that's really right for us. And I said, well, I do have one more. And I told him what I was working on, and he said, yes, yeah. that sounded really good for them because, you know... Er Audio, audio, audio. It's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. It's in the news all the time, especially, you know, people who are in publishing are very, very aware that um, audiobooks are on a growth um, trajectory and have been for some time. So it was just a very timely thing. And it, um, I got my contract and I got a deadline. And honestly, I think there are other writers who can relate to this. A deadline is very motivating. <laughs> so instead of like, oh, let's have writers group this week and I'll work a little on my book. I actually had to write my book. And even better than that, um, I had to give them a table of contents, which made me really focus on what I wanted to have, what, what information I wanted to impart. Sure. And, and that and, was a great help to me later when I was actually writing it. And I have to tell you that uh, narrators can also attest to the fact that deadlines are very motivating. Yes, they really are, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Lawyers too, BTW. <laughs> <laughs> Need that great. contract when? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had to write the table of contents. So, so give me a, a yes. brief rundown of your table of contents. What is, uh, what is in your book? Well, actually, uh, what's the okay. title of your book? Oh, thanks for asking that. It's called The Guide to Publishing Audiobooks with the subtitle, How to Produce and Sell an Audiobook. And so there was some back and forth with the publisher about the title 
Um, but I'm pretty happy with that one, actually. And it, it was really their idea more than mine. And that is what it is. It's a guide to how to produce and sell an audiobook. It's not about how to be a narrator. Uh, there is some stuff in there about the studio, um, but I am not a techie. So there is nothing about here's the kind of mic you should buy and, you know, here are the headphones that are right for you and how you can tell. But there is quite a bit about what goes on in a studio when you're recording an audiobook and subsequently and the prep beforehand. Um, and so, I mean, I can read you the table of contents if you want. There are only 10 chapters. No, no, that's all right. It, it's just, um, it, it sounds to me like it's more geared towards if you want to start an audiobook production company, as opposed to if you want to be a narrator and narrate for publishers. Right. Um, that is exactly right. And, and it sounds, it, it, it seems like now is a good time for a book like that, because I know that several small audiobook publishing companies have popped up in the past couple of years that I'm familiar with, that I'm on the roster of, that, um, that, uh, that are run by people who I respect and who I know. Um, and it seems like more and more people are getting into it probably because double, double digit growth in the past seven mm-hmm. years. And low barriers to entry because it's so inexpensive to, to record and edit now. Right. Compared to, uh, what it used to be, like you said, with the production costs and the, and the packaging and everything else. Um, so, so it, it sounds like everything that you learned went into this book. Yes, that's about right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, there are so many publishers now who are popping up to do audiobooks, but there are also publishing houses that either tentatively tried to publish audiobooks and are, are now going more um, wholeheartedly into it, or publishers who haven't done it but want to now. And then there are, uh, as as most narrators are aware, there are many, many authors now who are self-publishing in one form or another their own audiobooks. And so I wanted all of those types of, of companies and individuals to know, you know, how do you do this? And, and that includes from the very, very start, how do you know if you have the rights? How do you find out who has them and do you have them? How do you get them? So it's very from inception through follow through. That's great. Uh, so it also sounds like, um, and this is kind of a more of a, uh, this is a question more from a more personal um, viewpoint of mine. Uh, it sounds like this might be something useful for a a traditional publishing company that maybe has been around for even decades who is just now getting into audio. Exactly. So when I was um, going back and forth with my publisher about the title, I think one of their titles had something about, you know, how uh, writers can you know, produce an audiobook. And I said, but it's a broader, it is a broader market than that. Uh, it's not just for authors. It's also for exactly as you just said, it's for, it's for companies, whether they're nascent and just getting started or whether they're established and they're just getting into audiobooks or they have tested audiobooks, but want to do more with it. And maybe they don't know everything they need to know. Yeah, that that's great. I'm actually working with a local publisher here in Tucson who, um, is only, we're only on the second or third maybe fourth audiobook that they've produced. So it sounds like there might be a lot of interesting stuff in there for him. Yeah. Feel free to suggest that he buy my book. <laughs> my publisher will thank you. Or I might just get him a copy. And or give the audiobook. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about the audiobook. After you wrote the book, were you thinking, now I hear that there are these great things called audiobooks. Maybe I should see yes. about getting this in audio. Yes. It was something <laughs> like that. So at the time that the publisher sent me the contract, they said, we presume you want to keep the audio rights. <laughs> they didn't even <laughs> try to get them. 
because, you know, obviously uh, I wouldn't have wanted them to have them because they didn't have an audio division. So um, that was really nice that they they were that amenable to it without me even having to suggest it. And I do have a home studio, so I did end up recording it at home. Um, and I uh, farmed it out to an editor that I know and like very much. She does a great job. Um, and there it is out there in the world, people. <laughs> well, and well, don't worry, narrators, I am probably not going to be any kind of competition for you. So have you done any other narration? I mean, I know that you've produced and directed, well, it's hundreds, right, of audiobooks that you had a hand in producing and or directing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how many have you narrated? This is the only entire book that I've narrated, but I have done little bits here and there. So oh, no often, kidding. I, I actually was kind yeah. of kidding with that. I thought this was the only oh, that's thing, funny. But, but you actually have, have done <laughs> other narration. Because once in a while, when I'm in the studio to direct, the producer will say, oh, you know, would you mind, you're there anyway, would you mind doing the introduction? Because, you know, it should be a different voice from the person who's narrating the body of the book. So uh, I have done it. that a few times. And it's it's kind of fun. And one of them was actually really a great experience because, the, this was in an outside studio with an engineer who actually was a terrific director. So he directed me and that was, I really enjoyed that because he was, was good at it. So he would give me, um, you know, very good feedback and I would redo and I, I got to see the other side of what it's like to have a good director. Well, so now that you've narrated your own book and pieces of other books, um, is that something that you are thinking, huh, I'd like to do more of that. Or maybe when I retire from the law practice, I'll go into narrating. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how do you view narration at this point? What is this thing called retirement of which you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are quite a few of us who say, what is that? Yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, truthfully, I think I would enjoy narrating. And, um, you know, I have to, uh, I think most people have to know what their limitations are. I'm not a trained actor, to say the least. I would probably be okay with nonfiction. Maybe I could do some fiction, but I I think I'd have to take some classes to get the hang of that. I don't know. You it's sort to, of the same thing. You oh, talked to, talk to Sean Allen Pratt and quite a few of us who have done both fiction and nonfiction, and there are a lot of people who are going to say nonfiction is actually harder than fiction. Well, but I feel as though having done a nonfiction book now and it's entirely, uh, and I would maybe do it differently if I was going to re-record it. I'd, I'd make contractions where there aren't any. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. But I think that part's okay. I don't feel as though I need to emote the way and do voices the way somebody doing fiction, fiction maybe would do. Uh, yeah, doing character voices. That is that is absolutely uh, something that is different between fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, it's a skill. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, that's great. So you got to narrate your own book. Uh, what's the reception been? Um, well, I guess I don't really know in terms of sales because I haven't gotten this first sales report yet on that, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. I do occasionally, I admit, go and see where it's ranked. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised in terms of sales rank. Well, um, good. yeah, most of the reviews that I have, um, seem to be from the book. I don't know if I have any yet for the audio and the Reviews from the book are, uh, they're mostly good, but I do have a couple from people saying, this didn't teach me how to be a narrator. So I was like, oh, uh, no, no, it won't. Yeah. So that's, that, so that's just a, a, a misunderstanding of focus. Um, yes. so, so give me a, a, like a two minute summary of the book. So if somebody 
understands, you know, not somebody who wants to be a narrator, but somebody who understands, mm-hmm. I want to start an audiobook production company. Um, this looks like a good book. What is it that they're going to, what, what are the important points that they're going to learn by reading this book? Mm-hmm. They're going to learn how to find out who the rights, rights holder is of the book they're interested in. They're going to learn how to approach a publisher or, or other rights holder, depending on who, who it is. Uh, to inquire about the rights. They're going to learn how to budget. They're going to, uh, I say this more than once in the book, be polite. There's no point in being a jerk because if you are one, people are not going to work with you. And, uh, or, you know, they might work with you, but your reputation is still going to get out there. And it's, they're not, they're going to work with you as a matter of last resort rather than first resort. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a discussion about there is no entitlement to the rights. And uh, by which I mean, no matter how much you want a book, sometimes the answer is just no, and you just have to learn to to cope with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, my I, I have I, uh, what I call um, Jessica's rules of audiobook publishing, and the rule rule number one is never fall so much in love with a project that you can't walk away from it. Um, <laughs> Words to live because by. it's sad, it's it's hard. I know we've all those of us who have worked in this business a long time, we've all had projects that we really really wanted to do, but for whatever reason you couldn't get the rights or you didn't have enough money to come up with what they were asking and, or the time was wrong or the rights were already purchased by some, for whatever reason, just have to just grin and bear it and stay polite. But, um, subsequent to that, supposing you do acquire the rights, then it really walks through every step about how to find a narrator, how to prep the script, how to, um, find the right studio, how to proof, you know, what a proofer does, what, um, how you get it into uh, the sales um, distribution um, stream. Uh, everything you think about it talks about returns. It talks about promotion, what authors and publishers and narrators do these days and what they need to do. And um, and it's not just all me yakking, by the way. I do quote from people who know things that I don't know. So, for instance, when it comes to promotion, Karen Commons is in there with her very um, – she's got so much good advice. If oh, my any of God. Karen Commons don't know is, is Karen a, Commons. She, she is amazing. She has so much she information. She is amazing. She, I'm, what I'm a resource. So glad, yeah, I'm so glad that I got a chance to uh, to talk to her here in the speakeasy. And now that she's that got her – That is nice. Now that she's got her narrator's roadmap out there, um, so much information. Right. And uh, another, she's fantastic. And I also um, have some quotes in there by Georgina Marie. And if you don't know Georgina, she is a narrator, but she's also an actress, a writer. She she has a book that just came out this year, too. Improv for writers, essentially, how when you get stuck, how to use improv. And I sat in on one of her classes recently, and it's sheer joy. And she also talks about building a platform and um, how to promote. So there's a lot of useful information. It's not just me talking. I quote a lot of people in there um, because I know that I don't know everything. Sure, but if you have the the resources, if you if you know the people to go to, that's that's great. Um, yeah. The, the improv thing. I've I've heard so many things recently from several people. Um, Jamie Matler and Christine Vam about the value yes. of of learning improv and and how that can help in acting in general as well as in audiobooks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, being quick on your on your toes is a pretty good thing. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, well, that sounds great. I, uh, I certainly look forward to seeing it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but uh, I look forward to reading it, and I might just uh, recommend it to my, my local publishing <laughs> friend. Um, he's he's really you. excited, and I, I think that's great. I'm so glad. It's, it's one of those things where 
I started trying to build this relationship, I think at this point, it's at least two years ago. And, mm. and they were, you know, kind of cautious about audiobooks and, well, that's not really what we're focused on, but we're really interested. We know that things are growing. And I really think at this point that they're sort of um, kind of gearing up to definitely include that in what they offer to the authors that they deal with. Um, and, oh. and, I, and I hope that that's the case because, you know, double digit growth for seven years. Um, but, uh, but I'll, I'll definitely recommend this or might just get him a copy and, uh, and give it to him. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah. So, and then, uh, tell me what you think. I will. Yeah, absolutely. So, (laughs) so amid all this stuff, um, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of time for free time, but what do you do in, uh, in, (laughs) in LA when you're not practicing law and being a board member of the APA and dealing with a distribution company for audiobooks and being a freelance producer director of audiobooks. You are wearing me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting worn out just thinking about that. all those different things you're doing. <laughs> well, Busman's Holiday, I love to read, so I do a lot of that. Um, I love theater. I love going to live theater, so I do a lot of that. Do they have any of that um, in L.A.? <laughs> you know, I think some people do think that it's not um, a vivid theater scene here, but it, it truly is. There are the major theaters, you know, so we, you can see Broadway shows, but there are so many 99-seat theaters or oh, yeah. uh, mid-sized theaters, and we go to theater constantly. I, I just I, I adore it. There's something about it. Yeah, I love black box theater. It's just, you know, it's intimate. You get to be, you know, two two seats away from the stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's just, there's such a, it's such a visceral engagement. I, I'm not a big movie goer, but I've always loved theater. That's cool. And you said you have kids. I do. I have two daughters. And, and are they, well, uh, so the happy are, ending is they did get through college. They, they did. Get excellent. College. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask was, was if you got, happy if, to say. if you, if you met that goal, I know that, um, a student loan is a is is a huge issue. We won't go into politics at this point, but right. uh, student loans are are a huge issue. So if you were able to do that, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. And they both went to graduate school as well. And the thing is, you know, it was one thing when I was in college and uh, grad school, but now and has been, I guess, for a really long time now. It's just such a burden for people, and it's kind of sad how hard people have to work just to pay for their education. Did we drop out? Uh, just for a second there. Yeah, but that's fine. Um, yeah, no doubt. Um, so, so the big question now is, are they carrying on the family tradition? Did they both become lawyers? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me if they were both in the audiobook world. <laughs> Neither of them became lawyers. Uh, now, one of them. Now, are you happy about briefly that or sad about that? I'm not either of those things because as a parent, what I want more than anything for my kids is for them to be happy. Yeah, that, so, that's good. I'm just if, thinking of your dad yeah. and, and how he wanted my his dad, kids to yes. be lawyers. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was adorable. And it, and by the way, he didn't limit it to his kids. It was pretty much anyone he met. And he did influence. I still have people telling me to this day, you know, I went to law school because of your dad. How funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Even outside the family. Mm-hmm. He well. was really impressed with the profession as a, not just as a, a, a way to pay your bills, but as an intellectual pursuit and a way to do good for your fellow man. That's great. Or woman. That's great. Yeah. I know, you know, all the, all the negative lawyer jokes out there. I know that, uh, there is definitely a, a place for them in the world and, uh, and an important place and that they can do good. So good for him. <laughs> yes. 
So you've been in the audiobook industry for a long time. You've seen a lot of changes in the industry. Uh, what words of wisdom might you have for aspiring narrators out there? I think it depends on whether they have any kind of training or not um, going into it. But I mean, some of the best narrators out there now didn't come out of college with any kind of drama background. So that's kind of interesting. And I think it is a good idea to find training specifically about audiobooks if it's somebody who has no experience doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes taking classes, uh, but it also includes listening to audiobooks because you can learn so much about the breadth of the industry by listening to the various, not only genres, uh, I know I called audiobooks a genre earlier, but I mean, in this case, genres of books, you know, whether you're talking mm -hmm. about mystery or romance and the, or, or as we were saying earlier, nonfiction and the variety um, of performances is I think really enlightening. Um, but I do also think that it makes sense for somebody who's new to the business to, to take it upon themselves to get instruction from uh, so many of the, the top uh, narrators in the business nowadays either put on classes or do private coaching in person or by Skype or other means. And um, it's a really good foothold because they can give you what that experience in front of a microphone is is like and um, save a lot of um, learning by doing. Of course, there's always more learning by doing to be done. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like every book I do, I learn something. Uh, I would I would like to think that every book I do I get better. I'm not sure that that's true, but uh, <laughs> but every book I do I learn something, um, and I can't uh, disagree at all with getting coaching, getting audiobook specific coaching for mm -hmm. narrating audiobooks. Uh, do you have a and favorite say, audiobook? Oh, sorry, I I will answer that. I think, <laughs> but um, but I wanted to say this is also true for choosing a studio. So if, if anybody out there is planning to produce audiobooks, but not in their own studio, it's, I think it's really important to talk to studios about whether they have done audiobooks before, because, um, one thing that a lot of engineers who are not in the audiobook world don't understand is the amount of uh, ambient noise that has to be, well, all of it pretty much has to be kept out of the recording. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of homework to be done there when you book a studio just to make sure that they don't just say, yes, they know what an audiobook is, but actually um, understand what the requirements of the recording are. Sure. And do I'm, I have a... And, and I'm sure that that's... Um, there are a lot of studios out there that focus on music, and they say, sure, of course we can do an audiobook, but they focus on music, and typically when, when music is happening, the ambient noise... I'm I'm not going to say it's not important, but I'm sure that there are times when uh, it doesn't matter if a door opened and closed in the middle of a song because there was so much going on that that could never be heard. Whereas in spoken word, big deal. It is a big deal, and 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 I've recorded at studios that have more than one room, and sometimes they are doing music in one room while you're doing an audiobook in another, and so you have to keep your ears alert. And I, I, what I say about, um, engineers, uh, who do audiobook recordings are, that they have engineer ears. And the thing about engineer ears is they can hear things that I don't even hear. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful asset because I might hear a siren and I'll probably hear a stomach 
rumble, but they might hear something like, you know, something that came from outside that I didn't think had bled through. Sure. Yeah. Or if I hear something from outside and I think it bled through, they can tell me, yes, it did. Let's do a retake or no, it didn't. So mm-hmm. yeah, all that, all that is important. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. So do you have a uh, favorite audio and do you still listen to audiobooks regularly? I listen to audiobooks a lot. For one thing, I live in LA, so that means I'm in my car a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yes. So I do, I listen to audiobooks a lot and I don't actually have a favorite, but, um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of if I listened to anything recently that I really want to rave about. I did actually yeah, I was gonna just say, yesterday yeah, finish. Even if it's not a favorite, if it's just something that you heard recently that you would recommend. Yes. I just finished listening to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime mm. and, and it was, a book chosen by my book group. And I was the only person who listened to the audiobook versus reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really happy I listened to the audiobook because first of all, you get his personality. He's a terrific narrator, as you might guess, someone who's in front of a, uh, a microphone that often. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but he also brings, you know, his personal experience. You can hear it in his voice. There are so many languages that he has facility with and he does them all. And it's, it's just a seamless, a really glorious recording. That's cool. I, I love Trevor Noah. I, I'll um, I'll actually look to to see if I can get that. And there's one other that I wanted to talk about because it was an outstanding narration. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's a book called The Knicks. It's a very long novel that was narrated by a narrator I had not been aware of before, Ari Fliakis. And I hope I just said his name right. Um, it was incredible. It was an incredible performance. And um so now I've listened to other books that he's done, and um, he's got a new fan. And along those same lines, I'm going to shout out to Simon Vance, because back in the day when The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was new, I had never met Simon, and I listened to that, and I was just like, this is, that was an indelible experience. That's cool. I, um, I've heard good things about Simon Vance. <laughs> Many good things. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, right. And I hope to talk to him here in the speakeasy one of these days. Um, no, that, that's great that you, that you listen to an audiobook from someone that you were unfamiliar with. And now you have, you're a new fan of that narrator. That's very cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much discovery to be had and it's, uh, it's a joy. I feel really lucky that I get to, to listen to things I enjoy as well as work in the business. That's great. That's good to hear. So, uh, so Jessica, where can people find you if they want to find you online? Uh, well, my law firm website is kmills.com, and that's K-A-Y-E-M-I-L-L-S.com. Uh, and the Big Happy Family website is bighappyfamilyaudio.com, and I know it's a, it's a mouthful, but that is the distribution company, bighappyfamilyaudio.com. So that's a let me, let me go back to that for a second. So that's a distribution company sure. that that is not a production company. So um, should right. you know should people uh, not contact you and saying, hey, you do audiobooks. I want to narrate audiobooks. Um, that's not what you do. Right. That does happen sometimes, and usually, um, if I don't already know them, usually they will send me a sample. And it's not a. I don't want to be inundated with these please listeners, but there are occasions when somebody asks me for a recommendation and there are, I do still do independent production. Uh, if somebody, you know, wants me to help them produce their audiobook, So it is something that I need to be aware of who's out there. It's like having a, you know, a digital Rolodex mm-hmm. of sound bites. Um, 
but but yes, Big Happy Family is primarily a distributor, but we are uh, planning to add a production end to it so that it wouldn't just be me as an independent producer, but you know, along the lines of things you've seen on other sites where people can pick their narrator and. Um, oh, great! So, yeah. so that's a that's kind of a long term plan plan for the company. It is. It's in the works. Oh, that's great. That's good to know. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, don't inundate you, but remember that you're out there. Yeah, that seems fair. All right, that's that's cool. Uh, what about other social media? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any place that uh, you want people to find you? My favorite social media is Twitter, and on Twitter, I am Jessica K E S Q as in Esquire, as in a fancy name for lawyer. Right. <laughs> um, and then I am on Facebook. Uh, Big Happy Family is on Facebook. Um, so we have our own page there. Okay. And I am on Instagram, but I'm not fully participatory yet, shall we say. <laughs> I'm still learning. I completely understand. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually doing a little uh, social media um I don't know what to call it. I'm I'm taking a break from social media right now. Instagram's yeah. the only one I'm still on, and I'm barely there. So, um, so anyway, that that's good to know. I'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can find you if they need to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Jessica, I really appreciate you coming in. I, uh, it was I, fun. Congratulations on the book. I hope it does well. And uh, thank and, you. Uh, and it was great to talk to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Cool. I hope the I hope the wine was as good as it was the last time you had it pretty darn good. That, that's good. I will look for it. I actually have a friend okay. who works at a Trader Joe's and she's also nice. a wine buff. So I'll ask her about oh. this one. In the meantime, yeah, she... my, my Gibson is gone. I, uh, it was, it was quite a good one. It's almost like we had two interviews. <laughs> it was almost like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Jessica. Thank you. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Jessica Kay for stopping in. I'm glad I found her book on Amazon by accident and was able to track her down. And I hope you enjoyed getting to know her. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. And I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Special shout-out this week to Melissa Benson, who dropped a big bill in the tip jar this week. Melissa, I'm really glad you're enjoying the show and have gotten to know some of the great people in this industry, virtually and in person. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!